This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're in Acts um, chapter 2, and uh, uh, my title this morning is Devoted Together. I don't, that's probably not a sentence or a phrase or whatever, it should have a hyphen, I don't know. But anyway, Devoted Together. Father, we just pray as we look at this, these brilliant verses in Acts, Lord, that there's so much to say. I pray out of all the things swirling in my mind that you'd speak from your word into our hearts. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be challenged. We want to be encouraged. We want to be lifted up. And I pray, do all those things through your word this morning. God's people said? Amen. Amen. I don't know if you said this morning to anybody, shall we go to church? Shall we go to church? Does anyone ever, I mean, I've used that phrase. Are we going to church? Let's go to church. And nobody wants to admit that, yeah? Okay, thank you, Charlie. Going to church. And there's a sense where it's actually, a, a, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we came here. We came to this building. Um, but actually, and I don't want to be smug and say, oh, don't, you know, I, don't, don't talk about the building. But we were walking with my, uh, my uh, uh, family in North York Moors. I drove down from Middlesbrough this morning. And uh, there's a little building. And, 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 they, and my sister said, shall we go look at the church? And I said, because I've got this in my head, no, 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 we are the church. <laughs> and she went, oh, don't be so smug. <laughs> and, um, and there's a sense where there's an idea of going to church, which I kind of get because we all use that phrase, and that kind of idea, we are the church, it's like, yes, yes, I kind of know. But, you know, and then you say, well, why are you saying that, Howard, when we're buying a building? We're not buying a church. We're not buying a church. We are the church. We want to be a church with a building. Yeah? We don't want to buy a church and, and, and be no church. We, we're a church with a building. And, and so the New Testament never talks about going to church. You know, it, it's incorrect thinking about sacred buildings. And this is not a slam on other denominations. It's not sacred buildings with priests and clergy, clergy and, and sanctuaries and altars. You know, that, that kind of mindset that we think church, you know, people that watch the funeral, I thought they, they did well. I thought uh, the, the, the funeral of the Queen was terrific, wasn't it? And the gospel was out there. But, you know, there's kind of special clothes and special buildings and there's a little altar where they put the crown and they put all the bits on. And there's like, you think, yeah, I kind of get that. But actually, that's not really what it means to be the people of God. The New Testament never talks about going to church, but it talks about Jesus' followers being, is being the people of God, the church. And we saw last week, so catch up, we saw last week that... Um, uh, on the day of Pentecost, that the Spirit of God fell and there was fire uh, resting on each of, the, uh, of those that were in the room, probably 120 that were in that room. And, and we said that this is like a continuity from what had gone on before, that there'd been uh, fire had fallen on Mount Sinai uh, when the law was given, uh, fire had fallen on the tabernacle, when that tent that was in the desert, when, when, when that had been dedicated and God's presence had filled that and Fire had fallen on the temple that Solomon built. 
Um, and then we said, you know, that actually now uh, the, the Spirit of God rests on Jesus, who is the true temple where God dwells, the, the, the true place where you meet God. So it's interesting. I don't know whether Jews would have processed that, because they had this idea of the temple as the most sacred place in the, in the whole uh, world. That they had this, don't, don't change, you're doing well. Uh, the sacred place in the whole world, they had this, the idea that the Holy of Holies was the, the most sacred spot where God dwelt. They had this view that you went to the temple and you, uh, you off, uh, you, that you came to a priest and you gave them an animal to sacrifice and they sacrificed the animal, they poured the blood out on the altar and then as you left you put in your temple tax. Yeah, and, and, the, 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 and when Jesus is saying, no, 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 the most holy place is me. The, where forgiveness happens is, is, is not at the altar, but at my, at my cross or, and my broken body. And, 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 and where, and, and where I'm not, you don't, you're not just a, go to a special person, but we're all priests. They must have gone boom. And it's interesting that we've kind of got this idea that about church, and you can go to the next slide now. We've got this idea about church that it's, you go to a special building on a special day, and someone does something for you for a price. So in the temple, as you go to the temple, and on the Sabbath, Saturday, and uh, someone, the priest, would uh, do something for you, a sacrifice, and you would pay the temple tax. And actually, the, 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 this passage in Acts is saying that, that was this continuity about that. Yes, you do go and you do gather, but actually, it, it isn't that. But the reality is we're still there, aren't we? We're still there that you think about being churches, you go to a special building, you know, that building or that building or that building on, a sab- on the Sabbath, well, it's Sunday, on Sunday, and someone, me, or some professional who's paid by your temple taxes to deliver what you need, the care you need or the teaching that you need or whatever, and, 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 and that's what you do. That's how, that's how the interaction works, isn't it? Isn't that how, how we think about it? I know you don't want to say yes because that actually, thank you, my brother-in-law's here, he's nodding. He used to be a Methodist minister, he knows how it rolls. <laughs> and, um, and we've kind of got that mindset. And actually, uh, I get it. But that's not what this passage that we're going to punch into is saying. It's some, saying something more. Something more than just special building, special place, special person. And that's why I've called it Devoted and Together. So but let's, let's read in the run-up to this. So actually, that we'd seen at Pentecost that the Spirit falls on the church. And it's saying this is the new temple, yeah, in Christ's body. Christ is the new temple, the new Israel, but ours, the church, in Christ, are the new temple. And, um, and Peter then says, basically, how do you get in? How do you join the new temple? Let me just do this. So let's read verse 36, and then we'll do that, and then we'll jump into the main part. So verse 36, I thought I can't leave these verses out. It's that uh, Peter's, there's been, you know, spirits poured out. Everyone says, they're drunk, aren't you? And he says, no, 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 this is what's happened, what's prophesied. And he finishes with, it says, therefore, let all Israel be assured. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, he was like, you, (laughs) both Lord, that means God, and Messiah, the chosen one, And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter then tells you, how do you become a Jesus follower? So I thought, I can't miss this. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for, your, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you re- receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, and all who God would call. And with many words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this present evil age or this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So how do you join? How do you, how do you join the temple? Let's do, do the, you should know this. Let's go to the next slide. How do you join this? You join it? Ah, flip. Okay, you join it by believing the message. They heard about Jesus, and they, they'd seen and probably heard Jesus' teaching. Many of them were into, the, into Jerusalem for the festival, but they'd heard Jesus' teaching. And when Peter told them that Jesus had become, was God chosen and, and sacrificed to forgive sins, they believed that message, and that's how you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by being born in a Christian family. You don't become a Christian by going to church. You don't become a Christian by any of those things. You become a Christian by saying, I believe this message. Not just I give mental assent to it, I fundamentally, it impacts me so much that I repent. Repent means what? Who's clever here? I'm just looking for Tim. Where is he? Anybody? What does repent mean? It means change your mind. It means turn around. It means turn from, and there's different ways of putting it. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther put it like, being turned from being curved in on yourself. Turned from being all about yourself, living this kind of black hole life that draw, draws everything to you. And turn from that and say, I'm going to give my devotion to Jesus. And then get baptised. We're unashamedly baptised believers here. Um, that's not to ridicule if you've gone from, come from a different tradition, but we baptise believers. And so we'd encourage you, we've got a baptism in a few weeks, I think a couple of people are getting baptised so far. If you want to get baptised, you've never been baptised, this is what they did. This is what they did. The early church says, I repent and baptise. Baptism means I'm saying that no to my old life, dying with Jesus under the water to my old life, coming out of, 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 of the water, saying I believe in Jesus. My life is now hidden in him. He's, he's the one, I'm part of his new temple. And then the last thing and it can happen at any time along the process, receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit. And that, the Holy Spirit helps you to believe. The Holy Spirit gives you faith to get baptised. The Holy Spirit helps you to, 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 to be confident in him. But the Holy Spirit is not like just a thing. We don't receive a thing. It's him. It's God's presence comes to us and says, you are part of my body. You're part of this temple. You're part of it. So that's, that was my intro, you think, Flip, that's a whole sermon, I forgot a different type of church, sorry. Okay, but then we're into the big passage now, we're then into the big passage, I couldn't let that one go. So this, these are, might be familiar verses to you, but let's read them. Um, I, dare we read them together? Can we do that? We, we've already done a reading together. John's nodding, thank you John. I'm trying to be friendly with John because he's got a box at Gloucester. And, and I heard that a lot of people went in the box, Look, they're all sitting with him now, they're all the ones that went in the box. And I thought, why didn't I get involved to the box? So I'm being really going to be really nice to John now. Okay, no pressure, all right, but, you know, no pressure. Anyway, John's nodding, so that's good. We can all read it. Okay, they de- let's read it together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You can read this and think, oh yeah, they went to church. They went to church. It looks like there's a sermon, doesn't it? Apostles teaching. It looks like there's a worship band. Uh, there's some prayer. Some, they're enjoying praising God together. Uh, it looks like they break bread it, 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 together. And, and, and it looks like a Sunday meeting, doesn't it? You can say, this just feels like a Sunday meeting. And in one sense, the elements of this are in a Sunday meeting. But this is not about a Sunday meeting. Uh, I saw this tweet this week. I thought it was quite funny. You might not find it funny. This is Dan uh, White, is an American pastor. He says, the early church first faced many problems. None of them related to not feeling moved in worship, not being fed by the sermon, and not having an amazing kids program. <laughs> it's a kind of like, oh my word, you know, the, the Sunday ain't kicking it for me, so I need to find another one. That was never the mindset there. Thankfully, there was only one church then in those days. But it was never about those kind of things. What the the early church, the problem the early church battled with was how are we going to live what Christ has told us to do? How are we going to live this great command? How are we going to live what Jesus says? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second of this, love your neighbours yourself. There's no command greater than these. That's what they struggle with. How am I going to love God with all my heart and soul and mind? And how am I going to love my neighbour who, I, who, you know, somebody I might not get on with, somebody's going to be very different. We'll talk about that in a minute. How am I going to do that? That's what they wrestle with. They didn't wrestle with, oh, the sermon, I wish it was short, I wish it was longer, but I'd prefer different coffee, different music, different style. They didn't care about that. And I'm a ridiculous idealist. And although we work really hard on all the things we do here on Sunday, I somehow want us to be different. Do you want to be different? I don't want to be a cookie-cutter church. You know, that's not slamming any other church to say they're cookie-cutter, but I just don't want to be. I kind of like, I want to be like this. You know, I, I drift from it, flip. I want to be like this. So let's just pick two words out of this. Oh, just to say, by the way, you might think, why, why is Howard not mentioned in verse 43? Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed, performed by the apostles. I am Christopher. All right. He's doing the whole big deal on that next week. You know pressure. He's probably thinking, I haven't prepared yet. Don't put me under too much pressure. So Christopher's going to talk about that because it is part of the thing, but we thought we'd do a special one on that. Okay, so I'm just going to pick up two words, devoted. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. The word devoted is used to express deep emotion and commitment, deep emotional love and commitment. The word that Luke uses is to continue to do something with intense energy, even in the face of possible difficulty. To devote oneself is to give oneself over or persist in. So Luke is not thinking about a church that's mildly... I'm not slamming at you, I'm just preaching to myself so I can preach it to us. He's not thinking about a church that's mildly indifferent. He's not saying they were mildly indifferent, take it or leave it, half-baked emotional commitment. He's talking about a church that's all in 
for the long haul, all in for the long haul. If it's tough, I'm in. If it's difficult, I'm in. There's something, they were devoted. And, and in the Old Testament, actually, the word devoted means to be completely given over to the Lord. It means to be given to the Lord. It had some staggering impacts that we're not going to talk out here, but it means to give yourself totally to the Lord. To give yourself totally to the Lord. And I think, I want to be totally devoted to the Lord. Say yes, if you're with me. I'm closing my eyes because I'm, I'm, I'm doing business with him. I want to be totally devoted to him. Totally devoted to him. I don't want to just do church. I know it's my job. But I don't want to just do church. I want to be all in, intensely committed, passionately all over Jesus. Say yes. And that's how they showed it. So it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to breaking bread. I don't think that's, they meant like, we loved a good Bible study. And isn't it nice to have a little bit of broken bread on Sunday morning? I don't think that's what it's saying. And so I'm not getting, you're thinking, is he against Bible studies? No, I'm not against Bible studies. And I'm not against breaking bread on Sunday mornings. Clearly we do it. But there's something deeper about, about, about devoted to the apostles' teaching. I, I'll put it up here. Let me read it. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching because they were devoted to Jesus. They were a gospel-formed community. In other words, the story that was in the Bible formed them into this community. They believed it. It's, they were quite bookish, actually. They read and studied and they did all that. But, they, but actually, what happened is it captured their hearts, as we've quoted so many times. Like when Jesus did that testimony, uh, that, that Bible study on the road to Emmaus, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? It wasn't because, oh, like, that's intellectually stimulating or interesting. It was like, God, capture their heart with this message that this is the story of the universe and I'm living that. Thank you, Christopher. And breaking bread wasn't some religious ritual. It was a declaration that the cross of Jesus just wasn't a ticket to heaven. But that was the template for their lives. They gave themselves away, devoted, gave themselves away to the God had given himself away for them. That's what breaking bread means. That's why we break bread. We're saying, you gave yourself for us and we celebrate that and we give ourselves away for you. Say yes again. I do seem I'm trying... You know, there's probably somewhere deep in me that I should have been a Pentecostal. So they were devoted. And they were devoted together. Devoted together. I'm going to read the the passage again. I'm going to highlight all the togethers. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. I'll come back to that word in a minute. To the breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone, that's kind of an an altogether word, isn't it? Were filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they conjured to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate Together, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. This word fellowship, let's just talk about that. When I was young, churches used to call themselves that. Didn't they? They called them fellowship. I'm not against like churches that are called this fellowship or that fellowship. Some of you might, might go to them. You know? But it kind of gives the idea that, that the fellowship is a badge that you put on the building in the institution, right? 
But fellowship's never about that. Fellowship, it's, all, it's almost become a bit of a wetty word, hasn't it? If you said to your friends, you know, I love the fellowship. They're going to like, what, are you a university student? You know, what the fellowship, it feels like a bit of a wet word. But actually, it's something much deeper. English translations of the word fellowship, because it, it sounds religious and churchy, actually the word is koinonia. In fact, our, Deb, our, my sister's here, my, our youth group uh, in the Methodist church was called koinonia, wasn't it? And we said, what does that mean? You're going to koinonia, that wasn't very missional. But at least I understood that koinonia meant relationships based on what's shared in common. It wasn't like a place you went, the fellowship. It was something that you were, that you, you were shared something so deeply, the gospel of Jesus that had so transformed your lives that you shared everything in common. And it's the same root as common. Is it there? Yeah. All the believers were together and everything in common. The Greek one, koinos and koinonia, mean common. There's a sense of commonality, there's a sense of sharedness that's much bigger than just going to church. I mean, I, 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 I was going to say this, I'm, I keep mentioning my sister, but we, were, we went to a Methodist church, it was massive. Methodist church, you say I've done it, I don't know. Methodist church building that was massive, it seated like a thousand. And it seemed like the, the, the aim of the exercise was to try and sit as far as possible from everybody else. <laughs> you know, it's like there's about 150 of us, and what we do is we'd say, Lord, we thank you that we're one body, we're one fellowship. And then what you do is you kind of measure, right, okay, one, two, three, four, fifteen, ten seats, right, I'm going to sit there, and then ten seats are going to sit there, and I'm going to sit there, I mean, like Christopher's done, just, you know, whatever. You, and it was just kind of like, you almost, you were all scattered, separated around. What you did? You're all scattered, and, and you think, and they say, we share a meal together, come have a little bit of bread. And I think, that wasn't what they had in mind. There was something much deeper. There was something shared together. You know, you could sit in that church and you could say, I don't even know the person's name next to me. And frankly, I don't care. You're shocked, aren't you? But we just came along. We did our kind of religious thing. We kind of went home. Didn't know anyone. No one knew us. Didn't matter. That wasn't how it was. That's not how it was. There was this community. And the thing about community, community's got a word that's been trashed, doesn't it? Community comes from common unity, as it says up there. Something shared in common that unites us together. You know, so if anybody's part of the online community, that ain't a community, is it? It's like nobody knows who you are, you're disembodied, sitting behind your phone, I'm part of the online community. That's not community, you're not shared together. Okay, you might be sharing a mobile phone platform, but that's not community. Or when the government says, we're going to release people for care in the community. What does that mean? It just means we're going to put them out there somewhere and hopefully everybody looks after them. That's what community is. We've kind of devalued the word. Community is this kind of incredibly tightly bonded thing that's massively emotionally important. So that actually, they saw their identity in the shared community more than they saw their identity in everything else, even their own families. Please don't say I'm slamming families. I love my family. But they saw their identity joined together, these people. And there was something incredibly radical about that. There's something incredibly radical about that. I'm not saying the first century Jews had no faith and no connection, but they were just traipsing up to the temple, doing their thing, sacrifices, traipsing off home, arguing with each other, falling out with each other, you know, generally being 
not together. And that wasn't very attractive. But this togetherness, this first century togetherness, was incredibly attractive. I mean, it was compellingly attractive. And they, it was mattered so much that they actually shared their possessions. And you might think, oh, I knew where we were going. I knew we were going there. It's all about the gift day, isn't it? He wants to talk about sharing the possession. No, they shared their possessions. I think this church probably had people from all sorts of nations and nationalities. In fact, how does, how does Luke know? How does Luke know that they, they were, I think like, I've got the list here. How does he know where they, where they were from? He says, Parthens, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Romans, Christians. How did he know? He didn't just look out, aha, I see you're Italian. You know, I see you're from Egypt. No, it, they were part of the 3,000 that got saved and they knew where they were from. And some of those were people who were visited and get, well, well, guess what happened? They had nowhere to live. They had nowhere to live, so they said, come and live in our house. And I know it's, always, it cannot, you know, it's not, not always easy having people live with you. you know, but we've had people live with us. We've got spare rooms. I'm not saying we're going to do it all the time. You know, but, I'm saying, but actually the boundaries weren't so tight the Englishman's home was not so tight, the, 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 the first century Jews' home wasn't so tight that they couldn't let anybody in. They'd say, come on, be part of us, be part of us, be part of us. Oh, you, you need some help? We're going to do it. I mean, they're selling stuff. They're selling their property and possessions to anyone who had need. It wasn't like they were some kind of service provider for the poor. It was what has happened is in this community was rich and poor and people from different languages and different nations they were all in this melting pot together. And they shared their lives together. They weren't like holding on to their stuff so much that they couldn't hold on to each other. Paul says this, doesn't he, about how the gospel should be. And it's this feel, the last little bit feels like a, a slice out of our membership course as I come to an end here. A few quotes. Paul says this, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. I think it's there, is it? Yeah. We cared for you cared for you because it was my job. I actually went to Bible college and that's what we do. Now we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our lives. And you can hear Paul speaking. Well of course Paul you're the pastor. That's your job isn't it? You're supposed to care for everyone. Share the gospel and care for everyone. No this is actually a Paul was a, an example of the, what the church was like. We should be able to say for each other, I care for you. I love you so much. We're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, our stuff, our time, our dinner tables, our, our affection. Yeah? That's what it's about. That's what we signed up for. I read a book um, uh, a couple of summers ago by a historian called Roddy Stark. He's an American guy. Very good. Some great books. And he talks about, his book's called The Rise of Christianity. It says, it's book, I think it's called, Why Does the Christian Faith Become the Dominant Cultural Force in the, in the West? And you might think, it isn't, it isn't. Some kind of other cultural force is shaping the, is shaping the West. You are shaped, we are shaped by Christianity. The fact we care about equality, that's what Rethink's all about. 
The fact that we, we care uh, uh, for the poor, the fact that we're compassionate, the fact that we, we share, we, we're concerned about the poor and the outcasts and, and women and, and, and people who've been downtrodden. That, the fact that we care about that comes from who? Sunday school answer, yes, from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. And this community, this Acts 2 community that Jesus has created by his spirit and by his gospel, uh, Rodney Stark writes this. I love it. Christians constituted an intense community. I don't want to go to that church, it's too intense. No, we were. Christians are supposed to be this intense community. Well, I don't want to go to that church, they're quite, they, they, you know, they keep inviting me around for dinner. You know? Or I don't want to go to that church because they didn't invite me around for dinner, depending on whether extrovert or introvert. You know, it's too intense. You know, it's too high bar. What's the problem? No, it says the Christians constituted an intense community that exposed the weakness of 21st century... Oh, no. So it exposed the weakness of paganism. Our culture is crying out for community. It doesn't know how to find it. It doesn't know where to find it. It's lonely. It's disconnected. People look for community. They think it's online. They think it's by, some, by a political party or whatever. No. I've been to political parties. There's no community. I won't tell you which one because you already know. <laughs> you know, I thought, that, sack that off. There's no community. We're not changing the world by our ranting. But this community exposes, the church community exposes the weakness of paganism and provided an alternative way of life. I love this. One in which love, this guy's not even a Christian. He ain't even a Christian, Rodney Stark. He says, one in which love, forgiveness, care and inclusive acceptance were central. You know, we live in this, the culture they lived in, the Roman culture was, if, you, if somebody rises up, your enemy, you kill your enemy. If somebody, if somebody dishonours you, you dishonour them. You bring them down. You, the strong stamp on the weak. But here's this community that loves its enemies, that forgives and forgives. And how many times am I supposed to forgive? 70 times 7. No, keep on forgiving, says Jesus. That cares. Little children were uh, aborted, not in hospitals in that day, but they were put outside, exposed, in the, just left to die. They're even taken by slave owners to become slaves or prostitutes. The Christian community went and gathered those babies up. Said, no, we don't do that. We care. Over and against the self-promoting power of the Romans, Christians acted with a self-denying grace. Say that, self-denying grace. They were able to do so because they really worked really hard and they were really, really good people. And they went to church on Sunday and that made them good people. No, they were able to do that because they professed a God had dealt graciously with them. Yeah? The early church was this incredible life transforming culture. I've got a little graph actually. Let's see if I'll do that. I'm finishing. It didn't seem to make a lot of difference very quick. You know, if you look at the graph, 200 years, after 200 years, there was probably only about 15,000. Sorry, 150,000 Christians. There's more than that in London now. It grew very slowly, very slowly. But then one became one, became more, became more. Churches were planted, multiplied. And what happened is the church went exponential. So much so that by 312 AD, the Roman Empire says, we've got to make this a state religion. Not because it was some act of parliament, because that is what had happened. By 350 56% of the Roman Empire was Christian. 
And they didn't do that through marketing strategies. They didn't do that from having nice buildings because they had none at the time. They did that because they loved each other so much that they shared their lives with each other. Let's finish with this quote. Well, I, won't use the, I, I won't use the last one. Tim Chester says this. Belonging to a local church community is not an add-on. Let that word community do its proper heavy lifting. Common unity, not, yeah, I'm in a small group. Belonging to a local church community is not an add-on to the life of the individual follower. It's not merely part of the small print of the gospel invitation, but sharing lives is woven, woven into the very fabric of what it means to be Christian. Ben, why don't you come back? I was talking to, to, to Tom and Adam. Christopher's in the room, but he wasn't one of the beginners. So Tom hunting, hello, wave Tom. And Adam's just coming up there, Mr. Band player. We were natting because we, we were all here at the beginning, weren't we, Tom? We're all at the beginning, and we kind of had a bit of a moment. It was early. I don't think it was because it was early Friday, and it was dark, and we were thinking, why are we getting up in the dark? But anyway, we had this moment where we started to say, what did we sign up to do? What did you move here from Worcester to do, or move from Bristol to do, or move from Manchester to do? We didn't move to just do a church. We were idealistically crazy that we wanted to have this devoted, shared life community, didn't we, Tom? And Tom still wants that, don't you? And Tom Tom gets so frustrated when it's not like us. That's what we signed up to do. And that's what we've signed up to do, isn't it? And if you're a visitor, come and sign up with us. Are we getting it right? No. Are we perfect? No. Will you care about the kids' work promising and the length of the sermon and the way you moved in the worship? Yeah, you will. But the reality is we want to be a devoted, give ourselves away to Jesus and each other community together. So let's be together. Let's be together. When, we say, when, I, when I say, come pray, why don't you be together with us? When I say, come and rethink, why don't we be together? When I say, let's give, let's be together. When I say, let's open our homes, let's be together. When I say, when Kezia says, let's go for tea and coffee, nah, let's be together. Let's be devoted together. Why? because there was one who devoted himself and gave himself away so that we could be part of his body, a living temple, together. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.